Welcome to the Subscription League, a podcast by Purchasely. Listen to what's working in subscription apps. In each episode, we invite leaders of the app industry who are mastering the subscription model for mobile apps. To learn more about subscriptions, head to subscriptionleague.com. Let's get started. Hey, Nicholas, how are you doing today? I'm fine. I'm doing awesome. What about you? I'm doing really great because today we have the pleasure to have Tobias Boner with us. And I'll just say that his experience has blown my mind. So I'm just going to welcome into the show. Welcome, Tobias. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Doing very well, very well today. Awesome. So as I said, your experience blew my mind. So I want to quickly walk through it. Usually I kind of, you know, read it myself and go through it. But there I want to get kind of your take on each step. So you co-founded Lovu and eventually made an exit for about $70 million. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and what Lovu is? Yes, sure. Lovu is one of the largest dating apps in Europe. I co-founded that together with a few other amazing guys back in 2011. And after a crazy ride, we sold it 2017 to an American company called The Meat Group. Awesome. And then, so you've done, I guess, that two-step exit. And then you went on and co-founded Fastic, which is one of the leaders in the well-being app industry. So Samir, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. Fastic, it's, it's in the health niche, health and fitness niche. It's an app for intermittent fasting. And we're focusing here on, on people's well-being. Yeah. And it's already very strong, very good position, especially in the U.S., and it's one of the leading brands when it comes to intermittent fasting. Awesome. And I'm curious, the idea for Fastic, how did that come to you? Was that like a, a personal, are you, you know, into well-being and that was something that you were going to use or was that a need that you found for people around you? Well, actually, one of the co-founders was a very big uh, fasting lover and he went, he went a couple of times to uh, a hotel in the Black Forest. And this is how he met the whole group, uh, the whole other people. They are already working in this fasting environment. And uh, yeah, they, they asking themselves, our fasting is so great, has a, a lot of health benefits. How could it be possible to spread this much faster in the world? And of course, this is a very, very good way to do that. It's to came up with an app. And uh, since, this, since this date, I am also into that intermittent fasting thing. I mean, I do it since we started running the company in 2019. Awesome. And so are you still working at Fastic or did you move on from there? I'm advising the, the management team, especially for growth and marketing stuff. Okay. And so now you also founded Epic.io. Can you tell us what that is? Of course I could. Epic, it's uh, we so-called an app aggregator. So the idea here is uh, basically that we buying and investing in promising apps, which has uh, good KPIs or like smaller or independent developers or small teams. They want to uh, move on with their career. And yeah, we found it quite interesting now to reach out to all of these potential great apps and use our experiences, our knowledge in growing and extending apps, put it on table and invest much more and uh, do something big on that side. Nice. 
And I guess I'm going to take you back a little bit to Fastic because the first time I heard about Fastic and you at the same time, actually, was when we were doing a podcast interview with uh, Angie Carvel here on the Subscription League. And it mentioned how at Fastic, you guys got away with a very long onboarding, which can be somewhat counterintuitive because one of the advice that you can hear is, you know, have your onboarding, a good onboarding, but don't make it too, too long. So can you explain what led you to the onboarding in Fastic and how you got away with such a long onboarding? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear this question quite often. Why is this onboarding so long and how can that be in terms of performance? The question is quite simple. If you try to come up with a very personal approach for customers, you need a lot of input from them. So you have to ask them a lot of questions about their health journey, health data, and so on. And in the same time, we need also do a little bit education around our topic why it is important, what is in for them, what is the value proposition, why do we need to input so much health data. Uh, gaining trust is also one of the arguments what we also cover in the onboarding to come up with the perfect plan for every single customer. And we figure out that the best thing to do that is with a very long onboarding and with a good explanation on the right time with the right questions, then the customers uh, really like that approach. Actually, the onboarding at Fastic was taken as an, the best example by Andy Carvel of a very successful onboarding. So I find it really interesting because you reproduce the few questions that you would have in real life if you were to go and visit a dietitian. Of course, before proposing some kind of remedy for you, he would first start by asking a few questions. And this is exactly what you're doing. I agree. Yeah. So if we come back to uh, the onboarding, not all screens in the onboarding have the same goal. Can you tell us what are the different categories between uh, all the um, purposes you mentioned before? Yes, um, in the FASTIC onboarding, what is approximately, I would say you need, uh, if you do it right, you need at least two to three minutes to going through. And if customers taking the time to answer all the questions, they will have finally a very nice plan developed. So categories, basically we start with introductions and of course we need to explain what's in for the customer. That's the most important thing in the first slide. So the reason why he should start with Fastic. Then heading over to some terms, which is legally needed. So this is not our performance optimization, but this is more, okay, we have to get some opt-ins from the customer. And then the categories are personalization to goal setting, to individualization, which is, for example, your birthday, your gender, your height, your weight, your goal weight. So step number four is, for example, education and trust. So as I mentioned before, very, very important to met our medical board to see studies, what it's all about. Because if you're working with health, it's very important that you take this very seriously. Then again, step number five, it's individualization part number two. Now it's all about the nutrition and how active the customers are. One is eating time, one is not eating time. Very, very personal questions. And if needed, we give them also a hint if you have any problems, for example, with eating disorders, you need to consult the doctor before. This is the most important thing again for Fastic that we taking care of the health of every customer. One more slide is about the push permission. And we figure out that it's very good to get this already in the onboarding. And again, very big advice here, explain people why you asking for that permission. 
this will definitely help to increase conversion rates. So, yeah. This is very striking in the Fastic onboarding in particular. You are actually building trust. And uh, to do that, every time you need to collect information, what is really important is that you explain why you need this information so that the user is reassured when they provide it. So I'm curious, for you, according to you, what would be an ideal experience, onboarding experience, in a few words? The ideal onboarding experience uh, is to me if, yeah, as much as possible customers going through. So the onboarding rate, you know, it's all about numbers. Uh, we look very carefully about numbers and the ideally onboarding is if at least 70, 80% running through it, then you did a, a great job. Okay. So this is for the data, but on a more qualitative aspect, what if you see an onboarding into an app that, for instance, you want to buy at Epic, what would you make say, wow, this is a hell of an onboarding flow if you don't have the numbers? It depends which niche we're talking about. I mean, for health and fitness, it's quite obvious. Asking questions, getting enough input to make the journey as personalized as possible. But on the other hand, you have apps, they're talking about soccer results. In that case, it's way different. So you need to be much faster on the point and you don't need that many uh, input. It's very hard to say only this onboarding is the right for everything. It really depends on the niche. And I'm curious, actually, because we're both here, Nicholas and I are saying, oh, the onboarding on Fastic, you know, is long, but it's so great. Have there been other apps that you've used that have either inspired you or if you use Sense, they're like, oh, that was really a great onboarding. Yeah, I bring this this example quite often, now, but to me, it's great onboarding. Uh, it's basically the onboarding of Duolingo, which has a lot of gamification aspects uh, in it. And so I'm, I'm a very big fan of that. And they're like, you know, you should have a, a look on them. Awesome. We'll point our listeners to go check Duolingo and Fastic. Right. And uh, on the other hand, um, Tobias, is there... Any absolute don't that when you are designing the onboarding that our listeners should be aware of? Absolutely don't for me would be if you not iterate that funnel enough. I mean, make a first MVP of onboarding and then you can definitely achieving much better goals if you have on a consistently basis A-B testings in the onboarding flow. This is very interesting. So if, if I rephrase what you just said, don't try to do hell of an onboarding from the very first step with the 60 questions. You will eventually end up there, but start simple, measure, and then iterate and improve. Is this correct? That's, that's correct. And don't forget to ask your customers what they're telling you about. It's not all about asking them in person. You could also using, let's say, a tool called SmartLook. It's a good example that you can have a look on the back of the customers, how they navigate through your onboarding, where they click, what is the drop off there, and, and so on. Let's have a very close look on the behavior of the customers on your onboarding. And is that something that you guys have done when you were doing fast tech, extensively looking at the data to really understand where people dropped off? In the early days, uh, 100%. So this was one of the examples why we came up with this onboarding as it is today. Awesome. Do you have any other advice or tips on people trying to do their onboarding? Yeah, onboarding itself, it's, you know, it's the first touch point with the product. Um, I mean, it's 
it's the key for getting the customers activated somehow. And uh, as I told you, like spend time for it. Iteration, it's it's key. A/B tests, it's key. Not only for the paywall. I mean, paywall, of course, you should spend time on on that. And I think Purchasely has great options for A/B testing paywalls. But not only the paywall. Ask for the permission only if it's needed. And then again, give a good reason why you need that. Anything else is case by case different. It depends on the niche and the product. And not all apps. I'm not telling you that all apps should have a long onboarding. And it's not always the best choice. Basically, I'm very convinced of a personal approach to the onboarding, but designed for every app case. Yeah, really what I'm taking away from what you're saying is a long onboarding is reasonable when you need the data that you're asking the user in the onboarding for the app to work well, and that the user has that understanding himself or herself that this data is useful, and so they'll be willing to take the time to go through it. And then you can personalize the app more and all that good stuff. So. Yeah, don't forget your point. Yeah, and uh, so you do have a lot of experience in uh, this field, in designing uh, nice onboarding flows. So what are the main struggles you've been facing when designing them or working on them? As far as I remember, one struggle is, for example, to bring them flexible alive so that you have like kind of a no-code solution to just changing slides, changing the text, changing maybe animation. So if the onboarding is so long, it's not that easy for a team to change things so often as I like to like to see it. Yeah, so it requires a lot of development, a lot of time. And of course, the longer the onboarding, the, yeah, the more difficult, the more effort you have to produce to create a nice one and iterate on it. it makes sense. Yeah, and, and, and you also need a lot of customers for A-B tests. So if you have just 100 signups a day, then it's uh, quite difficult to have a lot of A-B tests. So you need a, a sizable amount on, on customers that you de definitely have a good number, like a number what you can rely on. And do you have any advice for those companies that are, you know, pre-100 users a day that might not be able to do a lot of A-B testing, but still want to move forward? Like what would be good advice for them to work on their on their onboarding without A-B testing, essentially? In general, I would say if, if it's, I think it's at least 1,000 signups a day, um, and then you can split it in two A-B tests, three A-B tests, maybe. And it also depends what is the optimization goal. Uh, but below that number, I think it can really, one more sale can lead to a very different view and maybe a wrong conclusion. So it's uh, not that easy with not enough customers. And I'm curious, you were A-B testing every change you were doing on the onboarding itself? Not every step, but at least have a very careful measure. So sometimes, you know, if you have a lot of experience, then you don't need that much uh, A-B tests for every single step and for every single uh, button color. But if you have not that experience, you should, you should invest the time. Okay. And so I guess you are conducting experiments, but this could go for 1000 years. So um, at which point do you say, okay, this is enough. We are holding something great and it's not worth investing that much effort now. I mean, a big fan of the 80-20 rule, right? So if you're achieving already 80% of your goals, what you had in mind, which is great. The other 20%, it's something for later. It really depends on the optimization goal. If it's retention, then you can not have that back influence. And if it's, especially in the onboarding, 
but if it's a conversion to pay, it's more likely that you have an opportunity to increase that KPI within the onboarding. And uh, yeah, it's to me sometimes never enough, but you need to keep going and you also should focusing on the whole customer journey after the onboarding. There is also a lot of room to improve over there. Great. And uh, so what is the expected effect of a good onboarding flow on the business? You mean by numbers, by just pure numbers? Yeah, by, by numbers or in general, what, why would uh, developers do that? Yeah, it, it's from my point of view, the onboarding helps to bring the customers very smoothly in the product flow and to make them stick, to activate them and to follow your goal to the North Star somehow. I mean, if your goal is, I can talk about Festic, if your goal is to start your first fast, so we should, we do everything towards that, that we, we bring in the customer already in the mood to taking the first action and which is then after the onboarding, the activation. Okay. Activation is a great answer. Great. And so do you have any insightful KPIs to share with our listeners regarding the overall conversion of the entire flow uh, they should target? I guess it depends on the vertical or the product itself, but a good onboarding would convert at which percent? I can give you a roughly ballpark what I saw in the market when what I, I have to so many different apps, they're doing a very good job. If you have 70 to 80% completion rate of the onboarding, then you're doing a great job. Perfect. So for subscription apps in particular, I guess having a good onboarding will create an uplift in conversion to trial or to paid or on retention. So what would be the, this uplift according to you? I mean, for subscription, so subscription apps in particular, I think the uplift for subscription rate itself, it's quite high. If you, if you bring the customers in the right mood, answer them the why he should pay for your product. And uh, if you guide them in the correct mood and you give them a personal approach for your subscription, you can expect also a very high or like a higher subscription rate in the onboarding as well compared without an onboarding. Imagine you're going to a store offline and someone just showing you the paywall without the product. I think this will not converting that well if you're giving some storytelling and reason why you should do it beforehand. I think this is absolutely key for every app product and for every niche. According to my experience, you can even double the conversion to paid. Would you agree with that? With a good onboarding, I mean, do you agree with that? I 100% agree with that. So I saw also some cases during my career from zero onboarding to a onboarding introduction and then the rates going up from like 2 to 3% to 6 to 7%. I'm in 100% agree. And so there's in the onboarding, there's kind of a, a debate as to whether, you know, you should have a, a paywall in there during the onboarding or not. I'm curious, what's your take on that? Like, do you recommend having a paywall or does it depend on the vertical too? Of course, it depends on the product and the niche. So far, the B2C subscription apps normally have a paywall in the onboarding and they also at least selling something could be also a trial like Spotify or Netflix and so on, they, they're selling you the trial. Of course, it is three months or it's one month. It's much longer. And uh, for other ones in the dating environment, there is no trial. They have a hot, have more hot conversion. But it's not 
recommended to skip that, but you you miss so many so many things from Uplift without having a paywall and the onboarding. And uh, yeah, there are a few use cases which make no sense, but in the majority, I think eighty percent they should really consider to have an onboarding flow within a paywall. With a paywall, yeah, awesome. And from my experience, it's very important because first of all, some of your users, they might just be willing to try your product right away. So if you have a free trial, then it doesn't cost anything. So they can uh, try with the actual uh, regular experience, the good one, not some kind of subpar experience where they try to benefit from the free product, but which is not actually the reflect of what they would get if they were subscribing. And also it's very important to set the expectations because when you are a premium product, you must tell it to your users and uh, they must be convinced that this product is worth paying for it. And the most common mistake we see on the market is that some apps, they don't show the onboarding soon enough and thus they don't really convert, but uh, mainly because the users, they don't really know that there is something to sell and you should not fall in this trap. And right after the onboarding is, I would say, the best place for showing the paywall because you've built the trust and then you are able to say, okay, now we have something to sell, try it. Yeah, I mean, people get used to it. I mean, th this is quite normal. Now everything, it's more, it's paid. It's different. A few years back was a different view on that. But I'm still wondering if the freemium model has had its days. So, I mean, it's getting more and more behind the paywall and I don't know what exactly will be the future, but I think it's time to something new. Agree. Yeah, I mean, the more we talk to people, what we hear is it's instead of doing a freemium where there are some features that are locked behind a paywall and you can get the base experiences, it's great you know, to show the full experience to people so you can really decide whether it's worth for them to pay the extra to you know, use the app. Yeah, on a different topic, one of my favorite questions, and I think I forgot to ask it the last few episodes, is did you run into any happy bugs that ended up being great designs, great features when you were working on Fastic or on Lowoo? You know, over the years with more professionalization, it's there are not not that much bugs anymore. But I remember a few years back, it was like um, we sent a push to all customers from the Lavu user base. This was just normally it was an idea to send out uh, to make a test to send a push to all the developers, and they just put a banana emoji in the push and writing about just banana, and they sent by accident uh, this to every customer <laughs> nice. Uh, and this has a very high click rate, uh, like very high open rate, kind of a funny bug. And we took this uh, idea and did it uh, a few times more <laughs> to like increasing daily active users. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what, what else? It's like the mysterious push notification that you don't really know where it is. So you'll go check it out. Yeah. yeah. And what else? And also a funny thing, this was like more for the marketing part at Festic. We designed a very nice video, very cool motion design feature, which was super nice. We call it the body status and we put it live and so many people reaching out to our customer service and, and asked where well, I can't find this in the app. I can't find this in the app. So like, you know, there was a new feature born. So like uh, from an add idea to a main feature, basically it's, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> At least I guess you knew you had to really build that feature afterwards. Yeah. Then you have maybe a little bit pressure for the developers. Yes. And so in the, in the same line of thought, is there any like counterintuitive learning that you gain, you know, over all your experience that you could share with us around, you know, marketing as subscription and all that good stuff? 
Well, um, yeah, challenging times right now. I think the learning definitely is keep fighting and stay hungry and try out all the new channels they're coming through. And uh, yeah, for like subscription products, think about price strategy. I think you can move the needle also with uh, optimizing that and uh, thinking about I mean, this is something what I already mentioned. Is the freemium model still the right model? So this is uh, this is maybe maybe not the learning, but it, it's a big question mark what I have since a couple of months in mind, and um, uh, still thinking what we should do with that with that idea. Well, you know, that's all the time that we had to chat with you today. So I really want to thank you for taking the time to chat with us and answering all our questions and sharing all the great experience that you've amassed essentially over the last 10 years or so. So again, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Tobias. We really appreciate it. And it was very interesting. Thanks, uh, Nicolas. Thanks, Oliver, for having me and uh, talk soon. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. On behalf of the Purchasely team, thank you for listening to the Subscription League podcast. If you've enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes or other audio platform. To find out more about Purchasely and how we can improve your subscription business, visit Purchasely.com. Please hit subscribe in your podcast player and don't miss any future episodes. You can also listen to previous episodes at SubscriptionLeague.com. See you soon.